Tabernacle Presbyterian Church presents Sunday with Tab. Tabernacle Presbyterian Church, located at 34th and Central in Indianapolis, welcomes you to Sunday with Tab. Today, Pastor Jim Pfeiffer delivers the message entitled, How Much More? So join us now from Tabernacle Presbyterian Church for Sunday with Tab. Now I ask you to please join us in the affirmation of faith from the Belhar Confession of 1986. We believe in one holy, universal Christian church, the communion of saints called from the entire human family. We believe that Christ's work of reconciliation is made manifest in the church as the community of believers who have been reconciled with God and with one another. We believe that this unity of the people of God must be manifested and be active in a variety of ways, in that we love one another, that we experience, practice, and pursue community with one another, that we are obligated to give ourselves willingly and joyfully to be of benefit and blessing to one another, that we are ob- and our one soul and one mind, have one God and Father, are filled with one spirit, are baptized with one baptism, eat of one bread and drink of one cup, confess one name, are obedient to one Lord, work for one cause, and share one hope, that together we come to know the height and the breadth and the depth of the love of Christ. Together we are built up to the stature of Christ, to the humanity. Together we know and bear one another's burdens, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ that we need one another and build one another up, admonishing and comforting one another, that we suffer with one another for the sake of righteousness, pray together, together serve in God and Lord, and together fight against all which may threaten or hinder this unity. Amen. Our first scripture reading today comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 85. Let's listen to the word of God. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. 
righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. These are the words of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, John. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 11, and that's in verses 1 through 13. He was praying in a certain place, was Jesus, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he went on and said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked, my children are with me in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there any among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more will your Heavenly Father give? How much more? Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. About 11 years ago, I was the chaplain on a burn intensive care unit in a hospital back east. And I remember in particular, a young adult patient who was inside a vehicle that caught fire, and she was extensively burned. She lingered on our unit between life and death for many days, and if you're familiar with the, uh, the world of intensive care units, you know that meetings between the family and the medical team are a regular feature, and it was with this family as well. The patient was deteriorating, day by day, not expected to live. But the mother, the mother was unwilling to accept this and she clung to the hope, almost the insistence, that her daughter would recover. We met with this mom and others several times and the medical team at each meeting laid out the stark realities. And at one such meeting, the mom spoke up after the grim prognosis was described and she said, well, well, I'd like to pray for my daughter right now. Right here and right now, I'd like to pray for my daughter. May I? Of course, we said, of course, please. And pray she did. 
crying aloud with emotion, in keeping with her style of her Pentecostal faith, that prayer rang out through that cramped, small little conference room into which we were all wedged. The dynamics of the room, I must say, were a bit awkward, but everyone was respectful. They listened, many bowed their head, and said amen when she was finished. Everyone in that room could see that prayer was deeply important for this heartbroken and desperate woman. It was her go-to response to tragedy. And I think it's safe to say at a Sunday morning church service that prayer is important to us too. If I asked the question, all hands would shoot up, lest you be the only one with your hand down after such an obvious uh, question of for people of faith. But it's not just important for us. No, prayer uh, is important for many in our, the culture around us. Many studies have confirmed that Americans, Christians of every stripe, as well as persons of other faiths, pray regularly. A Pew study that's often cited told us that 55% of the people polled said they pray every day. And when the, uh, the, uh, the frequency was changed to weekly or monthly, the prayer uh, percentage shot up even more. Roxanne Stone, who at the time was editor-in-chief of Barna, a Christian polling group, has said this, prayer is by far the most common spiritual practice among Americans. She goes on to note, the vast majority of Americans, no matter their religious affiliation or non-affiliation, pr practice or pr participate in some kind of prayer activity. She goes on, Barna has found this to be true consistently over the last several decades. The numbers barely change, says Ms. Stone, from year to year. Well, we've just read two texts about prayer. They tell us that we are not so different from other humans, whether two decades ago, two centuries ago, or two millennia ago. These two sections of scripture reflect two periods from antiquity. The second one, Luke 11 passage, obviously from Jesus' life and ministry 2,000 years ago. And then the one that John read from possibly as much as 1,000 years before that. And both of these ancient documents, both of them feel quite contemporary when it comes to prayer. Now let me just stop right here. A lot of you may be saying it to yourself, as I would if I was sitting in the pew and someone else was preaching, oh no, another sermon about prayer. A guilt trip has begun within me already because I just feel like I've gotta be the worst prayer ever. And then when we hear about Korean Christians who have prayer meetings scheduled at 4.30 a.m. on a weekday, and people actually come, we feel even worse. Not to mention hearing that Jesus prayed all night or that Martin Luther prayed all night or, or that my grandmother prayed well into the wee hours. We end up feeling even worse. So we don't really need another reminder of that, uh, that we need to pray more. But I wonder if that's not because that is, I wonder if our guilt isn't simply because we have a highly specific idea of what prayer actually is. But my suggestion to you this morning is that prayer is one of those activities which thrives with the broadest possible definition. 
The, the fewer specific criteria, the better. Prayer does not require specific particular phrases. It doesn't even require, of course, audible speech. Some would say it doesn't require language at all. You remember the groanings that cannot be uttered. It doesn't require a particular body posture or bodily position or folded hands or closed eyes, all those things that I learned when I was little for good reason. But now as an adult, I can, can deregulate it a bit, if you will. St. Francis de Sales has said, those who pray from the heart don't think about the prayer they are saying, but about the God to whom they pray. And I think DeSales would have us move then the source of prayer from the head to the heart, or maybe even lower, from the heart to the gut, because that's really what both of these passages are teaching us. Think for a minute about the Lord's Prayer, not the shortened version that, that is in the Luke 11 passage, but think of the, 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 the full-length version uh, of the Lord's Prayer that we say every week. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that saying? In other words, Lord, the world needs your help. Make it like heaven on earth right now, or at least by the end of next week. That's just a cry from our hearts. Lord, we want earth to change. Or give us, this daily, give us our daily bread. Lord, in other words, please provide the basic needs for, of life for me and my fellow humans. Help us to survive. That may not be relevant for us as we go back to our full cupboards, but it is for much of the world. Or forgive us our debts. No, not please pay off my mortgage and my college loans, but rather forgive me, Lord, for the many bills that I've run up in my relationships with others and with you. Forgive me for the indebtedness that I find myself in with all the people around me. Don't worry, if we haven't offended someone yet today, we still have all afternoon and this evening. We probably will, before we sleep tonight, need that prayer. Lead me not into temptation. In other words, Lord, keep me from testing. Lord, please keep me from the test that will break me. Deliver me. And then deliver us from evil. What is that but a prayer much like John has prayed today? Lord, the evil that, that endangers me or the one I, ones I love, them, or the more global evil that we wish would finally end, the wars, the hunger, the disease, the persecution, the things that make us shake our heads as we look at night after night of these uh, descriptive pictures. Lord, may it all end. May it end. Deliver us from evil. These are everyday, relevant needs for anyone, anywhere, anytime, told us by Jesus 2,000 years ago. We pray them, yes, every Sunday in a regulated cadence, almost a, a, a poem, sort of, of quiet reverence, and it's beautiful that way, and, and we should continue to do that week by week. But the import of these requests can be shouted, can be groaned, can even be sobbed. And they're not fancy. They're not fancy prayer language at all. Psalm 85 can help us even more in this deregulation process. What do we learn here? If you remember the psalm, 
we find in verses uh, one through four, this first part of the deregulation process, as I'm calling it. In other words, the psalmist's prayer recalled a perceived past change in God's dealing work or work with God's people. In other words, within the psalmist's own memory, there was a time when things were not going well in Israel, but they got better. There were problems with the land, and then God changed that. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. There were problems with the economy, and God changed that. As I said, you restored the fortunes of Jacob. There were problems with the moral and ethical tenor of daily life, and God changed that. Verse 2, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You pardoned all their sin. Things were bad enough that it seemed to some people that God was angry with the whole lot of them, and God changed that too. Verse 3, you withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. The memory, in other words, of a time when God had intervened and changed things was a motivation for this new prayer. Things were bad and they got better, the psalmist remembers as he prays. And he attributes that change to God. What does that mean for prayer? It means that the major piece of praying is the belief that it can help. (laughs) The belief that something can happen. That's what the psalmist is saying. Look, it was bad, it got better. We should pray so that it gets better. Sometimes the things themselves change, that is the circumstances. Sometimes the situation changes. Sometimes our perception of it changes. But things can change when we pray. And then the the, the second piece of the deregulation, the psalmist's prayer appeals to God's character as the psalmist asks for another restoration from bad times to better times. Notice what these verses say. Restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Now I know that some of us reading that portion, talking about God's hot anger and God's indignation, might be uncomfortable with those kind of references to, to a wrathful God. But keep in mind that this was a common way to think about the unseen world in antiquity, that gods, in other words, were subject to emotional extremes and that one needed to be careful and watch your P's and Q's, lest the gods get upset with us and make our lives unbearable. But as Christians, We read Psalm 85 in light of the Gospels, and we believe that Jesus, in him, we have the fullest picture of God. God made flesh. And though Jesus, as a human being, showed anger as well as other human emotions, he wasn't capricious, he wasn't volatile, he wasn't imperious. Many patients have said to me as I stood at their bedside, God sure must be angry at me for me to be this sick. God sure must be angry at me for me to have had that accident. To which I say back to them, have you told God this? Have you told God that you're worried that God is angry with you? Do you think that God would perhaps like to clear the air between you and God? Because the important part of this section for me is not the anger, but the fact that the psalmist appeals 
In the end, to God's tenderness and love, show us your steadfast love, O Lord. I know it's there. Show it to us and grant us your salvation. That's his real appeal. We pray, when we pray, we go to one who cares more deeply for us than any human ever has or will or could. And I want that to be my focus in prayer. God loves hearing from me even more than I love to hear from the persons whom I, whom I care about. And I love to hear from them. The psalmist goes on as we come to the last part of this psalm. This, he includes a, pair, a, a, a period rather of inner musing in prayer. And I love this part, this inner musing. Verses eight and nine, let me hear what the Lord will say to me. For he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. It's almost as if in the middle of his prayer, the psalmist talks half to himself and half to God. That feels so genuine to me. So revelatory of a deep relationship that he has with the one to whom he's praying. It brings God down to earth to hear myself say to, say to God, I wonder how you're going to answer this. Almost chuckling to myself. I wonder what you think of the person I'm praying for, or the situation I'm praying about. I find this problem exasperating, dear Lord. It's okay to muse aloud in our prayers to God to muse aloud to God about one's own experience of God himself, to muse aloud to God about my inner life with all of its shadows and all of its inconsistencies and all of its insecurities. I know I have no right to come to you, Lord, but, but here's what I've got. To muse aloud to God even about my disappointments with God's answers. This openness is real. It's the reality of a, of a genuine living relationship between me and another person. This inner musing in prayer deregulates it. And then finally, the psalmist's prayer time included an envisioning of the ideal future. Look at, listen how it ends. Steadfast and love will meet together. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground and righteousness will look down from the sky. Isn't that a beautiful poetic picture of the perfect future toward which he was praying? This is not naive optimism. This is not pie in the sky. This is the expression of hopefulness. The expression of hopefulness which moves us to another day to another week, to another year, to a better future. That's got to be behind the prayers that we utter. And believe me, that's coming from a, a card-carrying pessimist, but I'm rebuked as I read this because of the way he was able to end this prayer so hopefully. Well, let's get back to that family on the ICU. After the prayer was finished, everyone offered their support to the mom and the other family members with, with hugs and with murmured words of care and assurances that they were going to care for the daughter as best they could. And I noticed a change in that mother. I had gotten to know her during the days that her daughter had been there, and I was worried about what would happen should her daughter pass away. But the change I noticed was that she went from distracted to peaceful, 
from panic to quiet resolve, and she was panicked, but she moved to a quiet resolve. And then some days later, when her daughter did die, did die, she grieved, and she grieved deeply. But somehow, she seemed ready for it in a way that she hadn't been just a week earlier. In fact, when her daughter had been brought in, I thought this person will herself die if her daughter dies. But God made a change. She seemed to me to have prayed herself into a place where she could never have imagined herself to be. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you who ask? How much more will God give? How much more? And let us pray. Lord, we come to you with our burdens and our weights and our insoluble problems. And we think that there's nothing that can be done. But we know that the one to whom we pray has made the mountains, filled the seas, made the seasons, and made us. And so we do pray, dear Lord, that you might remind us of that as we bring our burdens to you. And for this and all things, we give you praise, O oh God, and thanksgiving for your goodness to us every day that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Sunday with Tab a production of Tabernacle Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis. We hope you have found inspiration and comfort in today's program. There are many ways to enjoy today's message again. Subscribe to the Tab Podcast on your favorite podcast app or go to tabpres.org, tap on the graphic marked Sermons, and select the sermon you wish to hear. While there, you can also view the entire worship service. We invite you to join us for worship this morning at Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. We're located at the corner of 34th Street and Central Avenue in Indianapolis. At 8 a.m., we have a communion service in the chapel. And at 10 o'clock, a beautiful worship service in the sanctuary. The 10 o'clock service is also live streamed on our YouTube channel, Tab Indy. For all information on the services and streaming, go to tabpres.org. That's T-A-B. PRES.org. Thanks for listening, and join us next week at the same time for Sunday with Tab. <laughs>